last Sunday in the sermon series on Ephesians, and our original speaker for today, Bob Short, is ill, so you want to pray for Bob, but in light of this, and with a last-minute change, four elders are going to be giving uh, devotional thoughts on the armor of God, which is our passage today. So um, to focus on this, we're going to read a little scripture. Some of these are different. It's kind of a mix of different um, translations. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil authorities. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the world powers of this dark world. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. People are not who we are battling. We battle an unseen enemy. It is easy to become discouraged when we see the waves of evil around us. Instead, remember to look to the Lord and put on the full armor of God. David says this in Psalms. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Thank you, Amy. You know, the boxer Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And uh, what he meant by that is sometimes you got to go to plan B. And then sometimes you got to go to plan C. And that's what we're on today. Uh, Steve's out of town. Bob Short was all set to speak. Uh, he got taken out with a virus, and so yesterday afternoon we're scrambling, what do we do? So uh, what you're going to hear this morning is a short thought from, uh, from four guys on our elder team uh, on this passage from Ephesians chapter 6. So let me start our morning in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity uh, just to, to come together and to look at your word. Uh, your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And so, God, as we just open it up this morning, uh, may you give us fresh insight, may you encourage us, and may you lift our eyes to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. We heard some of it. I'm just going to read a little bit again. Ephesians 6 from verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, as we look at this passage, it starts out with this word, finally. And really, the, the concept, the idea is, is, you know, as we're coming to the end of this great letter from Paul, we're thinking in our minds, how is Paul going to wrap this all up? I mean, we've heard about some, some awesome truths over the last couple months, right? We've heard about how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've heard about how we've been made alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We've heard about how Christ came to create in himself one new man, that the Jew and the Gentile united together in Christ, and every people group united together in Christ. We've heard about how we're supposed to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and how how that applies to the practical areas of life, right? That applies to our marriages. That applies to us uh, as fathers and mothers. It applies to us as children, right? How we're supposed to respect our parents. It applies to us in the workplace. And all these practical things that Paul's been talking about, he gets to the very end, and he gets to this, he gets to this truth. And, and the, the truth, the main I think nugget of this passage um, that I think we should all take with us is in verse 12. It says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, we're tempted to think that our biggest struggle is flesh and blood. And what do I mean by that? Well, we're tempted to think that, you know, the problem could be the, the atheist professor who is uh, telling his students that there is no God. Or the problem could be the politician who's trying to enshrine into law uh, things that go directly against God's word. Or we may think that our problem is the entertainment mogul who, who is trying to promote sensuality and violence and uh, all these things. And I'm not saying that those aren't problems, right? But that's not our main problem, right? Those people living out those practices are pawns in a bigger system, all right? And that's and that's what Paul is emphasizing here. He's saying our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's rulers in the heavens, okay? There's evil that exists. He talks about cosmic powers over this present darkness. And it's the reality that Satan is real. And it's not just Satan uh, working as, as this lone entity, right? He has forces of darkness, right? And, and I don't understand all the details. And I don't have time to get into that today. But this idea that there are 
levels, that there are rulers, that there are multitudes involved in his schemes. And what Paul is saying is, don't forget, that's where the battle is. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know, in, in 1 Kings chapter 6, there's a, there's a cool story. Um, the king of Syria is fighting against uh, Israel, and he keeps getting foiled. Like, he, he sends out forces, uh, and, and he seems to be stimming at every turn. And his advisors come to us, and they're like, we know what the problem is. There's this prophet for the nation of Israel. And, you know, God keeps telling him what we're going to do. So the king of Syria says, hey, okay, this, this is easy enough. So he sends out an army, all right? He finds out where Elisha lives, and he sends out an army. And you can see this in, sec, in first, uh, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 6, in verse 15. It says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots, was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and behold, he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire, all around Elisha. And this is what Paul wants us to do today. He wants us to open our eyes and see. Now, there are armies of God. There are angels and there, and there are forces on God's side. But there are also forces of the enemy. There are forces of Satan. And that is the battle that we're in. And so, towards that end, because we are in this battle that's a it's a not a flesh and blood battle because we're in this other kind of battle. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And so what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going to have a series of, of guys come up and just share a few thoughts about uh, some of the different elements of the armor of God. Okay. And the reason that we are fight, fighting with the armor of God, all right, Paul says, I want you to be able to stand. Okay. So he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, why does he say to stand? Well, you know, what, think about the warfare that was typical in these times, right? This is, this is not warfare from a distance, shooting missiles over enemy lines. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat, okay? The two armies come together and they, and they duke it out, right? And how do you know who wins at the end? You look at who's still standing because if you lost, uh, you're dead on the ground or potentially uh, if you surrendered, you're you know, sitting in a line with your hands tied behind your back. The victors are the ones that are still standing. And that's what Paul is saying. I want you, as you go into this battle that's not flesh and blood, I want you, as you come out the other side, to be victorious. I want you to still be standing. You know, this thought of what Paul says later in, first, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. That's what Paul wants for us. That's what it looks like to stand. And so Paul lists six metaphors for spiritual battle, 
okay? And each of these is imagery borrowed from the Old Testament, okay? So Paul, what he does is he's taking these images from the Old Testament, these metaphors, and he packages them together in a way that is uh, really useful as, as kind of a memory device as you think about what it looks like to fight a spiritual battle. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at these first two things that he lists in about five minutes here. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God, you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And then he says, verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So what's the significance of that? Well, he's, he leads off with this idea of putting on a belt of truth. Now, in those days, uh, people wore robes. And so if you were going to go into battle, you didn't want your robes, uh, hang, you know, you didn't want it hanging down around your, your feet. And so this is also kind of imagery that Peter uses when he says, gird up the loins of your mind. So the idea is that you would, you know, you would pull it up, you would put your belt around it, and then you could move freely. And so, you know, when you think about truth, uh, truth enables us to move into what God wants us to do. Now, Satan is called, uh, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus says when, when Satan, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan's number one weapon is deceit. It's lying. And so the first thing we do to combat that is we put on the belt of truth. We say, I'm going to walk in what God has said. And you see this pattern for Satan throughout the scriptures. When Satan strikes, it's through a lie. It comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan says, did God really say? Satan wants us to believe a lie. Uh, and Paul is saying, put on the, put on the belt of truth. Stand, stand firm in God's truth. And, and this is so essential, right? Um, if we're not bathing in God's word, if we're not continually taking our mind captive and, and, and renewing our, our thoughts, um, then we are so susceptible to the schemes of Satan. And then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, there's a couple different ways you could take this. You could take this as um, the righteousness that we have that is... Uh, from Christ. And everyone, if we come to Jesus, we're given a righteousness that's not from ourselves. Okay? It's just a gift. And, and God sees us as righteous when we have come to be part of Jesus' family and, and part, of, part of accepting uh, what Jesus has done on our behalf. But I don't think uh, that that's the kind of righteousness that Paul is talking about here. I think he's talking about this idea of a, a lived out righteousness. Um, now, whether, whether you take it one way or the other, um, the concept is, is very similar. But look back at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4.24. Um, there's, there's, well, let's start in Ephesians 4.22. There's some similar language here. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through what? Through deceitful desires. This idea of the old self is poisoned by deceit, by lies of Satan. It says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds 
and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're putting off the old self, and you know, just this idea that we're putting on this new character, and we're living it out. We're trying to to live not in the old pattern, we're trying to live in the new pattern. And, you know, Paul is saying, as you, as you put that on, you know, and, and he kind of reuses this, this language of putting on the breastplate of righteousness. He's saying, go live out in the righteousness that is yours in Christ. And then he gives, a, in, in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, he gives a bunch of examples. I'm just going to give you one example of what this looks like in real life. Verse 25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, Again, this idea of truth and, and falsehood. It says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So something happens and you get angry, all right? Now, there's a way that you can act at that point that gives opportunity to the devil, uh, to defeat you. There's another way you can act that is in line with righteousness and truth. And what is that? He says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So this idea is, you know, if you go to bed and you let your anger fester and build uh, and you don't get rid of it, uh, you hold on to it day after day after day, then you are giving an opportunity to the devil, right? The devil is putting something out there. He, he's deceiving you that, hey, it's okay. Hold on to this anger day after day after day. Let it take root and become this bitterness that, that starts to control you. That's the deceit. That's the lie from the devil. But when we're living in the truth of God's word, we say, you know what? I need to put that anger away because I don't want to give a foothold to the devil. And that is taking a step to live in righteousness and live according to kind of the the. the truth of scripture all right so that's the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness okay so with that i'm going to turn it over to doug and he is going to share a couple thoughts on the next couple uh items from the armor of god all right good morning so we're going to be talking in um in uh, verses 15 and the shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so normally we don't, you know, when we think about armor, you know, we are, you know, for a lot of us, the first thought we come to is medieval armor and things like that. We don't really think so much about the shoes part. And oftentimes when we think about, you know, Roman times, you're thinking about wearing sandals and, and things like that. Okay? But they actually had battle shoes that they would wear. And this was necessary. You think about, you know, how sensitive most of us, our feet are. I mean, you go step outside on a day like today, you feel right away, if you're standing out there barefoot, okay, how uncomfortable that is. Okay, you step on a little pebble, okay, it just sends you through the roof. So our, our feet, you know, need to be protected. Okay? We don't get very far walking barefoot. And you think about these Roman soldiers, they're, they're traveling miles up and down these roads, rock-covered roads and, and areas where there's thorns and and the brush and everything else, okay? They're not going to get very far unless their feet are protected. Um, and so they're wearing these battle shoes um, called calcia, and they're, they're actually spiked, okay? They're cleats, 
Okay? They're metal cleats on these shoes that they use for battle. And uh, some of you may remember back, back in the day, they actually let you wear metal spikes on your shoes in athletics. Anybody kind of remember those days? Okay? Um, and you can do a lot of damage with those. Okay? I remember hearing stories of my dad. He was a catcher on the, on the baseball team. And if he didn't like the call that the umpire had, when he caught that next ball, he hopped back right on the umpire's feet with those metal spikes. Okay? <laughs> he could do some damage. Okay? Or we'd be out golfing and someone tried to play through. You ever had that happen? And all of a sudden the ball comes rolling up by you from people playing behind. Well, we would just go up and stomp that into the ground with our cleats and spike that in there. You, know? you can do some damage. Um, with these spikes. The purpose of those, however, is to plant ourselves, give ourselves a firm foundation. Okay? That's why we had those spikes. Okay? You could hold yourself in. As, as Alan talked, you know, that this was close combat. Okay? When the other guy's pushing and shoving and coming at you, you can stand your ground um, when you have those cleats on. Okay? And it talks about the readiness okay, given by the gospel of peace. Well, having those shoes on, we're ready to move. Not just to stand firm, but we can march forward. Okay? Again, over whatever ground we come across. Doesn't matter what it is. Okay? We can take that on. Now, what, how does that relate to us? Well, what kind of rough ground do we have to uh, traverse? Okay? We, there's work troubles okay? that can be rough ground there can be family troubles that can be rough ground okay? societal issues everything that we encounter on a day to day basis can be rough ground we don't all have smooth sailing okay? it's not made easy for us there is rough ground that we must um, pass through so we must be ready for that and it's saying um, with the gospel of peace with the gospel of peace. That's our readiness. And, and how does this, you know, we're talking about battle armor, and then now suddenly we're talking about peace. How do we, how do we relate those? When we're out there struggling against okay, the evil one, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. But we can be peaceful in these actions when we are surrounded by the gospel. Okay? Uh, John 3.16, we should be familiar with that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes him, in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's peace in that. Okay? In whatever actions, whatever troubles that we run into, okay? the rough roads that are ahead, we have that peace of that promise of everlasting life. Not only with you know, the commander-in-chief, but our father, our Abba father, our daddy, okay? It's really easy, you think about it as a kid, you know, to stand firm and, and, you know, confident when our dad's standing right behind us, right? Okay, we can have that peace that we know he's got our back through this and that we are doing his will, okay? That's the command that we have. That's the peacefulness that we have when we're following in his steps. Okay. Um, Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's the peace. When we put on this armor, when we are prepared and ready, and we keep that gospel message front and center, we plant ourselves with that. Okay? We can have that peace knowing that we are going in the right direction and, and carrying out uh, his task. Okay? Uh, the next piece of armor, he says, in all circumstances, okay, every time, take up the shield. Okay? Our other pieces of armor we're wearing, we'll put those on, we're getting ready to, to, to go out the door. But he says, in all things, take up that shield. Okay? Now, normally when we think about a shield, and, and you know, maybe some of you are geeks like me, we, we think about Captain America, and we've got the little red, white, and blue shield, you know, and even the picture that we have shows this round shield that kind of covers the torso. But what Paul's referring to, and most scholars believe that he's talking about a Roman shield called a scutum. Okay? A scutum is a body-length shield. They say it could be about the size of a door. Okay? Some of us need a bigger shield than, than others. But uh, you know, it's a big shield okay? that we put in front of us. Okay? It protects. Okay? And that's saying... We take up the shield with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So we've got these air, flaming arrows coming at us from all sides. So we need this full body shield. And these shields that they had were actually oftentimes covered with hides. So they would take animal hides that were soaked in water okay, to extinguish those flaming darts as they came in. So Paul's got this vision of what's going on out here when these, these flaming arrows are coming in. Okay? That the shield will extinguish those. Now what are the darts? What are the flaming arrows? Well these are all the accusations and lies that are coming towards us from the evil one. Okay? Um, you, know, you know, these darts coming saying, hey, you're not good enough to stand up in front of everyone. You're still a sinner. How can you stand up in front of the rest of the congregation? Okay, there goes an arrow. Okay. God's not answering your prayers. Maybe he doesn't really exist. That's whatever the world says. He doesn't exist. There's an arrow. Okay. I know, you know, the, the arrow is coming saying, I know what you've done. You're not good enough. Okay, you can't participate. You can't step up and, and witness to someone else when you've got all these things in your past. Those are those arrows coming. Okay? But we take up that shield. Okay? The shield of faith that says our sins have been forgiven okay? and remembered no more. That's our faith. Our faith in, is in what Jesus has done for us. Okay, for dying on the cross. Okay. Um, you know, it says in, in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. That's our, where we put our faith in. Okay. We put our faith in Jesus and what he has done by his gift on the, on the cross. Okay. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So we don't have to see God moment by moment. Our faith shows us that he is still there. 
The shield also not only protects us, but helps us move offensively as well. These big shields, what they would do is they would form these skirmish lines, all the soldiers lined up with these shields, and they'd push and then take a step forward. And push and take a step forward. Advancing on the enemy. Okay? Jesus gave us, we know, when he was being tempted by, by Satan, okay? he pushed back with the word of God. Okay? He had that faith, and he pushed back, fighting against, again, these lies of, of Satan. Okay? We have that same ability. We can delve into these scriptures and have faith in what these words are. Okay? As those arrows come across and say, this is outdated. You know, this, is, this applied 2,000 years ago, but these concepts are just outdated. They don't apply today. Okay? We can extinguish those, those arrows, knowing what these scriptures say and have faith in, in God. Okay? All right, Mark, I'm going to invite you up. You're going to come and share. Kind of reminds me of the round robin games we used to play in ping pong back in college, kind of cycling through. You know, I, I imagine as Paul, who's writing this letter to the Ephesians, uh, he's in house arrest in Rome, and the Roman soldiers would exchange their shifts about every four hours or so, and so he had a lot of opportunity as he was writing these letters to the churches to observe the Roman armor on these soldiers and, and as he looks at them he he's inspired as he looks at their belt the belt of truth to hold them up to hold the Christian up and as he looks at their breastplate he's he's inspired about how a Christian can live out their righteousness in this life and it's like a breastplate the breastplate of righteousness and then he looks at their shoes as my brother Doug spoke about and he's inspired about how a Christian should always be ready to share the gospel and advance forward he looks at their shield, that full body shield, to protect us in times of doubt and discouragement and despair. And then he looks at the helmet, we see in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. He uh, looks at their helmet, maybe they were fashioned out of some leather with a metal overlay or just a molded piece of metal, maybe with a, a face plate to protect their, their face. And he's thinking, a Christian needs to have a helmet too needs to take up the helmet of salvation. For the Christian, that's remembering that we have salvation that, and that it's eternally secure because one of the attacks of the enemy is to cause us to doubt in God's love and care for us, to cause us to doubt that we truly belong to God and that we're saved and safe in his hands eternally. And so he says, put on that helmet. And I was thinking of how Jesus spoke in the passage of John 10, how we call that the Good Shepherd passage, and how he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who get, has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. And so when we're caused sometimes to worry and doubt or question our salvation or our security in Christ, we only need to take on that helmet of salvation and remember the words of our Lord that he said, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands and take comfort that once we're in Christ, we're in Christ forever. We think of how in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, 
in verse 28, and we know that all things work together to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom, uh, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen, verse 30 says, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, in, in God's plan of salvation, he has not lost a single soul. Because everyone he has selected and chosen for salvation will be saved. And so the next time we're tempted to doubt or distrust or wonder, am I, am I really a Christian when I continue to see the sin in my life? If we're truly trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are saved eternally. We have eternal life now. And so we take up that helmet of salvation for assurance. Not to receive salvation, but because we have salvation, we have that assurance forever. At the end of Romans 8, some have coined this the, the song of security. And he says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So put on the helmet of salvation, my friends, and be comforted. And then he says, there's the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, in verse 17. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We look to the example of our Lord Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And he came to him and tempted him in the flesh, in the pride of life, and the, the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and the flesh and the pride of life. And every time that Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he do? He took up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and he said, For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then he, then he again says, when he was tempted to, uh, Satan took him up to the temple, maybe 400 feet in the air, and he says, just jump off and the angels will catch you. And he said, do not test the Lord your God. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy. Every time he's re responding to Satan and taking up the sword of the word of God, he's, res he's responding based on his memory of Deuteronomy. And I had a teacher one time that said, what if our ability to withstand the temptations and testing of the evil one was dependent on our ability to quote from Deuteronomy? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that we would do as well as Jesus, but he remembered all those Bible verses in the, in the school of Nazareth and the in the synagogue and and then again when he's tempted to by satan to receive rulership of all the world without interference from satan all, all you'd have to do is bow down to me and he quotes again from deuteronomy and he says you shall worship the lord your god only and the satan left him you see when we resist the devil he flees from us that's the promise from the word of God. He's, he's prowling about like a lion seeking whom he can devour. But when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And we do that by putting on the helmet of salvation and taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Just as Jesus did. You know, when we're tempted, maybe it's, uh, you know, for when I teach the kids, I, I'm usually teaching the kids on Wednesday night. And I, and I was teaching on this passage of the temptation of Jesus. And an uh, easy way to teach it is through the Ten Commandments. You know, next time you're tempted to lie or stretch the truth when you're being asked by your teacher or parent, 
you know, remember, do not lie. God is truth, do not lie. Um, when we're tempted to gossip and, and speak evil of others, remember the word of God, that we're not to speak evil of anyone, and we're to show the love of God. That's the same, those same truths are true for adults, so it looks a little different. Sometimes it might look like the temptation to cheat on an income tax return and stretch those deductibles and those earnings to kind of make it fit how we would like it to fit. Well, remember again, do not lie. We're lying on an application for a job we want. I see this as a manager uh, where I've hired several people, and some people can make those resumes look so perfect, and they can ace an interview, but the reality does not line up with what they stated on that application or what they said in that interview. And it's a great disappointment. But we remember as Christians, we're not to do that. Next time we're tempted in any kind of arena of sexual temptation, remember the take up the sword of the Spirit and remember how we're urged in 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee fornication. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. So next time we're tempted, brother and sister, flee. You know, we're told in this chapter repeatedly to stand, but sometimes to stand means to flee. <laughs> and we need to flee from that temptation. Well, I'm going to wrap up. That's all I have for today. Lord, just help us to uh, take on the helmet of salvation and remember that we are eternally secure in your hands. No one is able to snatch us from your hands. We thank you for that truth, and we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, a promise for the day of redemption. And help us to always take up that sword, Lord, and be ready to use it to defend ourselves from the attacks of the enemy and whatever temptation or evil we face in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mike's up. Thanks, Mark and others. Just realized I'm the shortest of us four. Never knew that before today. Well, last but not least, Paul includes the weapon of prayer, which is not in the traditional six pieces of armor in the passage we just looked at. Uh, but prayer is relevant to all these things we just heard about. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So prayer, of course, is something that one person can do, uh, such as an example in the Bible, Nehemiah, or many, uh, like we do in the believers in Acts chapter 2. Prayer can be sparked by trials, uh, such as the Israelites experienced many times, or sin, as David confessed in Psalm 51, but often the greatest moves of God begin with prayer. So in this passage, we see some features about the prayer that Paul described. Uh, talks about a non-stop prayer, praying at all times, the beginning of verse 18. And this doesn't describe a muttering of prayer constantly as you go about your day, I don't believe. But that God is always listening to the hearts of his people. And we don't have to, fortunately, we don't have to prepare to pray by singing five or six songs or by reading 
a large passage of scripture first or going through some ritual. We can just pray wherever we are. And all times are good times to pray because Christ has won the way to the Father through his sacrifice and is open for prayer 24-7. Prayer is also spirit-led, as it says, pray in the spirit. So this involves the whole trinity. Jesus bought access to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the cross is the way. The Spirit is the helper, and the Father is the destination of our prayer. And so praying in the Spirit, what takes center stage is not my will and not my heart and not my desires, but the will of God and the heart of God and the desires of God in my prayers. It also says, with all prayer and supplication. So this means all types of prayers. So how many types of prayers are there? I mean, we can think of quite a few. There's worship, confession of our sin, asking for forgiveness, various requests, and we have many requests that we're uh, busy praying for right now. Submission to God, thanksgiving, prayers of thanksgiving. You can pray in groups at church. You can pray alone at home. You can pray long prayers, short prayers. You can pray on your knees. You can pray on a bike trail. You can pray on a bus. And you can pray light-hearted prayers, or you can pray heavy, intense groanings. And we need to keep our eyes open, despite uh, the normal format of prayer, where our eyelids are closed. Our spiritual eyes should be open. Paul says, keep alert, in verse 18. Jesus said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Mark 14, watch and pray, so you may not enter into temptation, because the spirit is willing, but, of course, the flesh is weak. Another reason to keep alert are pains and struggles not only that you endure but the pains and struggles of others. We need to have our eyes open to those. It's like soldiers, we look for potential threats to our brothers and sisters and then we pray accordingly. So with all perseverance, Paul goes on. So the kind of prayer we're talking about is a prayer that keeps going. Millions of things are easier than praying. Have you noticed this? It requires faith. It's also work to push through our own attitudes against taking time to pray. Our own laziness, the distractions of our day are all things we have to kind of push through, and so it's work. And also we can feel pretty overwhelmed by the needs for prayer. And before the advent of uh, modern furnaces, we needed firewood to make a fire in order to live. So it was chop wood or freeze. Chopping is, is prayer. It's hard work, but it builds strength, it's healthy, and it facilitates fire. So in the, actually, the more we do it, the easier it becomes. And he says, for all the saints, so prayer should be family-sized. The Lord's prayer begins, our Father, not just my Father, but our Father. And we're not alone, so we need to think of others when we pray. Others-centered prayer takes the focus off of our own concerns and takes the burden off of us to be so focused on ourselves. So beginning at verse 19, he says, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul, you know, wants prayer for himself, but he wants prayer so that he'd be strengthened to further the gospel. And so I think that's a model for our prayers as well. We want to seek the gospel in the expansion of God's kingdom and ask for boldness and clarity in that as well. 
and also for our hearers of the gospel. We want God to give them grace so that they can hear in receptive hearts. Jesus talks about the four various kinds of soil that the gospel can land on. We want the gospel to land on fertile soils in those people and so soften their hearts so they may hear the gospel. And also our desire is your kingdom come, your will be done. So it's the furtherance of the reign or the influence of Christ in the world is what we should be seeking out. Creekside's motto is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be our desire in that. So I encourage you to take up prayer too. It's a mighty weapon in the arsenal because God is mighty and we need him. We are going to actually transition. I'm going to close our devotional time. We're going to transition into a communion time, uh, which the Lord directed us to do in remembrance of him until he returns uh, to remember his sacrifice on the cross. So I'm going to pray, and as the band plays, encourage you to practice your own prayer of self-reflection and repentance of anything that might be before you and God uh, in this time, and also uh, thanksgiving, remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And for those who are uh, assured of your salvation in Christ, you're welcome to come up to either of the three stations, two stations, correction, uh, and partake that way. Um, and if you don't know for certain that, you know, where you stand before God, I'd suggest that your prayer might be a direction toward considering what Jesus has done for you. So uh, we'll close this in prayer. Lord God, we just uh, thank you for what you've shown us through your word today. Uh, thank you that uh, you equip us with your truth, your faith, and your assurance of your salvation so that we may stand boldly. Thank you that these are tools of offense and defense in furthering the gospel and protection against Satan in these times. And so we just thank you for our standing in Christ and uh, ask your blessing on the rest of this morning and may it honor you. In Jesus' name. <laughs>